on those headphones. It's time for Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine. Welcome to Naughty Talk with Sunny Lee Maine, the podcast that explores all things kinky in a sexy and inclusive way. This show is intended for mature audiences aged 18 and up, and some listeners may find it disturbing. We believe in risk-aware consensual kink here on the show, so if you do try things mentioned on the show at home, know that neither the show nor the cast are responsible for any accidents, injuries, legal or property damages that may occur while getting your kink on. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 2 of Naughty Talk. I am Sunny Lee, Maine, she, her, and I am here with Mac, he, him, again today. We are super excited to kick off the show with a chat about primal play. And I know we've been talking a lot about roles and identities on the show so far, and primal is something that's really important to me. It's definitely one of my roles and a part of my kink identity, and I know that Mac feels the same. So welcome back to the show. How are you today? I'm well. Thank you, Sunny. How are you? I'm doing okay today. <laughs> I should quote you and say, I'm not dead yet, but I am here. <laughs> um, so you're a little bit known for primal play. It's definitely a major part of our dynamic as partners. And I think that a lot of people are curious about it, so I'm excited to talk about it today. So I thought we might just start with sort of defining what even is primal play in our own words, and if you want to just also comment on whether you really feel like it's more of a kink or more of a role slash identity. Hmm. I I think uh, for me personally, primal is more an identity, but I certainly can see where some would consider it a kink as well. But for me, primal play is uh, basically taking all those superior cognitive functions that we humans are, are known for and setting them aside and really letting that, that mammal, that beast that's underneath um, out to play. Sure. And it's an individual thing. And certainly there are lots of people who engage in primal play as a role play and who enjoy doing that. But I think like you, primal is also sort of a part of my identity. I definitely think that I have a general life view of recognizing that humans are a part of the ecosystem. We are not better than animals. We are just another type of beast. And I think that in primal play, it's an opportunity to sort of let that step forward and to release oneself from human taboos and sort of release yourself from your inhibitions while you're playing. So talking about roles and identities in general, I think that there are some that are specific to primal play. Do you want to list what some of those are? Sure. You, when most people think of primal play, what comes to mind most is predator and prey. So basically, you know, predator being the the D side of the slash and 
Prey being the S side, but there are certainly a lot of others who simply describe themselves as being primal without going into any other role or identifier in there inside of that. Right. And I think that it's also important to acknowledge that two people who identify as predators might also be in a relationship with each other or two people who identify more as prey. And for someone like me who really views dominance and submission as a spectrum, I think that there's a lot of space for that within primal play where you know, some of the play involves physical struggles for dominance, that sort of thing. But you can have two people who are generally on the same side of the slash find that one of them is just a little bit more dominant than the other, for example, and have that be the basis for their dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That certainly can be the case. Yep. So in our relationship, for example, you know, we both generally identify on the D side of the slash. We both identify as predators. And we also have a sort of um, caregiver little dynamic to our relationship. But the primal runs all the way through that. And so we tend to think of it as sort of like an alpha pup dynamic where we're both predators, but in our particular relationship, daddy has a little bit of edge on the the D side of the slash. The bigger, badder predator. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, certainly, you know, every dynamic is going to be different. And certainly in our given dynamic, you know, where we're both predators um, from somebody looking to the outside, you know, we're both big, bad predators, but um, from inside of our dynamic, you know, I'm, kind of a little more on the dom side of things than you are, but I, I know I still wouldn't classify you as being submissive uh, for sure. Right. I'm really not, you know, we've talked a lot about my kink roles on the show so far and how generally I am on the D side of the slash almost all the time, but that, you know, I am polyamorous and I do have one relationship with you in particular where you are my personal dominant. So that's sort of where it comes from. And I find that it is a very playful and bratty sort of dynamic. And mostly (laughs) that edge comes from being able to physically enforce those limits. Like if we draw a line in the sand, it might come down to a primal wrestling or primal sparring match. And if it comes down to a physical test, (laughs) because in a a mental test of wills, you know, we are going to be deadlocked for a very long time. But when it comes down to a physical test of wills, daddy is going to win. <laughs> so so that's sort of how that works for us. And I, I definitely think that we have a sort of pack dynamic. So what is all this business about primal packs? Do you want to say a little bit of something about that? Sure. Uh, but I'm actually going to kind of rewind just a little bit and say, honestly, I think that in a mental struggle between the two of us, I, I will actually be honest and say that you probably would win that. But yeah, when it comes to physical competition, certainly, um, you know, I, I'm not uh, too worried about that. It's funny that you say that. <laughs> <laughs> 
we, we but we we are definitely very well matched there um I, and i greatly appreciate your mind and how it works and how it functions uh it's a very beautiful thing oh you know you're gonna make me feel all mushy while i'm trying to record the podcast <laughs> that was a nice compliment yes i, I definitely think that we are both incredibly stubborn. We have very strong strength of will on both sides. And so when we disagree on something that is within the bounds that we've negotiated, as we've been talking about for our dynamic in a consensual way, you are able to sort of use that physical edge to sort of settle things in a, in a final sort of way, you know, by pinning me down and spanking me because punishment is not something that I volunteer for, or just, you know, basically saying with your body that this issue is closed. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, getting, getting back to, to PAX, really, I think the whole idea of primal PAX started, uh, off uh, a scientific report that actually was later debunked about wolves and how in a wolf pack you typically have an alpha, a, a leader of sorts of the pack, and then everybody else in the pack was submissive to generally, it was a male, but I will say him or her or it. Um, and, you know, that's more or less the way that most primal packs function now. Sure. So while the the idea that there is one alpha of the pack has sort of been debunked specifically for wolves in nature, it is definitely something that often governs sort of kinky primal packs. However, not all packs are structured that way. We came from a pack that you were leading that was a really sort of massive pack. It was huge and it was sort of a primal meeting ground and it was heavily virtual, kind of popped up during the pandemic. And I sort of came seeking other primals and we met and hit it off. But eventually that sort of ballooned past the point that you had imagined, I think. And we both strongly felt along with some of the other pack members that pack to us was more of a personal connection. It was more of like a, a leather family or a kink family. And we wanted more of a personal sort of, we wanted more personal connections and a smaller pack. We wanted a pack for us to be people who actually wanted to spend time together in person and a variety of other things. And so it sort of evolved a little bit and we did branch off and form a smaller pack with some of the original members. And then as things sometimes go in groups, it was sort of decided that we didn't really all have the same vision for what our pack was and what it meant to us. And so we divided again a second time. And at that point, you and I basically decided we were going to form our own pack with a clear vision in mind. And things shifted a little bit because in the beginning, we were really hoping for a pack where everybody was really sort of joined together by their primal identity. And then we realized that that was less important. And what we really wanted was something that was more of a kink family model. So while many of our pack members do identify as primal, not everyone does. And there are other common things that tie us together 
Quite a few of us are hypnokinksters. Quite a few of us are interested in energy work, and that's something that we'll touch on a little bit later. But generally, the thing that really binds our pack together, the most important thing, is that we are a family. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, going from really this tremendously large pack at one point we had fifty or sixty members. I forget. Uh, back into kind of more of an intimate, you know, family size was was a wonderful move. And uh, I think the the two things, if I had to point to two things that kind of bring us all together, I would say primal play and energy work. Yeah, um, but it's it's definitely a wonderful experience to be part of a very close knit group of individuals who come from a variety of backgrounds. It's very enriching. And our, our pack has just really become very lovely and it's very queer and it's very poly and it's very warm and just generally wonderful. So I'm so happy with what it's become. Definitely. Uh, there's a lot of positive energy within it. So stepping kind of away from roles and dynamics and getting into more of the kink side of things and more of the physical play side of things, what types of physical play do you sort of associate with primal? Well, for me, I think uh, exerting domination is kind of the the crux of it, at least for me. Uh, granted, uh, you know, as we've said, I'm very heavily on the, the D side of the slash. Uh, so activities like uh, wrestling, biting, scratching, pinning, tackling, uh, all of those are, are kind of involved in my type of primal play. And I mean, we, we really play hard. And I mean, it would not be uncommon to if someone was watching us playing, see us wrestling, see me being pinned down probably at the end of it by my throat, because generally you win. And that's how we both like it <laughs> to see me wrap my legs around your neck and then have you just stand up and maybe sort of dangling upside down. I mean, it's very physical. And obviously, there's some risk inherent in this. We'll talk about that in a little bit. It is edge play. But many people also really like sort of this hunting, chasing, takedown type of play. And sometimes that can be done in groups where there's a group of predators and a group of prey and everybody goes loose into the woods and, you know, the predators try to track try to track and tag a prey and bring them back for a play scene. Some people only want to take it as far as catching and you could almost do it like a game of tag. And some people actually want to do the full takedown, which is obviously riskier um, to knock somebody to the ground. And I think a lot of like biting, scratching, marking, in terms of like leaving marks on your partner's body as a sign of ownership. Um, growling can be a big piece of it, really just sort of letting your inner beast out in a physical way. And I also want to say, if this sounds like it's not physically accessible to you, there are other ways. I personally have a lot of chronic pain and I still love the physical play, but I'm really into hypnosis and I love doing hypnotic hunt and chase scenes and hypnotic primal play. So if you really love the idea of the dynamic, but you feel like it's not something that you're physically able to participate in, I highly encourage you to check out hypnosis. It can make a world of different types of kinks and different types of play 
that may not feel physically accessible still very possible. Absolutely. And I know you and I will probably disagree with this, but I think in some ways the the hypno chase and, and hunt it can actually be sort of more enriching to the mind than doing the actual physical hunt. I mean, I think that hypnosis is always going to be mind play. And so it really depends on what you're looking for. Like a lot of people who do primal play are really seeking that adrenaline rush, that testing of their physical limits, testing of their body against a partner, against the elements. So there are definitely things that people get from the physicality of it. But if what you're really chasing is the headspace and that's the thing that you care about the most, then certainly you might even prefer the hypnotic play. Yeah, absolutely. So let's circle back to the the physical play because I know we've talked a lot about hypnosis separately, but I want to get back to kind of the physical stuff and the risks that are involved. So, I mean, some of the things on my list are getting lost, exposure to the elements, injury during sparring. Do you want to say a little bit about... Um, safety tips and negotiation. Yeah. So, you know, as Sonny pointed out earlier, it, it is edge play. A lot of primal play is either fully over the line into consensual non-consent or tiptoes right up to that line. So negotiation is absolutely critical before you get into any sort of primal scene. Uh, so asking questions like, you know, is it okay? You know, is biting okay? Is scratching okay? Um, is pinning okay? And are there certain parts of the body that I should stay away from trying to pin? For example, some people just can't deal with being grabbed around the throat. Um, so knowing those things going into it is vital to have a successful and safe scene. Sure. And I think that it's just important to like in any kind of kink, know yourself and communicate. If you have a bad shoulder or a bad back, you probably don't want to be tackled by somebody twice your size and smashed against the ground, or maybe you do, but you know, be aware of where your body is at in general, where it's at that day. These are things that I, I've said often, you know, with really any kind of play and think about, you know, with marking where on your body, is it okay to have a mark? Is it going to be somewhere that's going to be public? That's going to be seen at work the next day. You know, a lot of people don't want to have visible bite marks and bruises while they're in the office, for example. And you also want to maybe talk about and negotiate what is the end of the scene or what is the goal of the scene. So for some people, the chase is really what does it for them. And then if they reach the point of even a tag, or if you go with the full takedown and tackle, that's sort of the end of the sparring or the end of the scene. Other people want it to progress past that. You know, now you've been pinned, they want it to become explicitly sexual. These are all things that you can sort of discuss. And, you know, you might even beyond your normal safe words for stopping the scene, I like to have either like a double tap system or some other kind of signifier of, okay, mm-hmm. I submit so that you're saying, okay, I'm ready for like the physical wrestling or sparring to end. 
and to move on to whatever that next thing is without necessarily, you know, you might not be at a yellow or a red, you might not be ending the scene, but you might just decide that you're ready to end the physical sparring aspect and to move on to what comes next. So that's something that you can kind of add in as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then, you know, on top of all of that, negotiation then as particularly if the scene is outdoors you have other things that you need to consider for safety as well and i know you started to touch on that a little bit but you know one of the things that i always like to do on any of my outdoor primal scenes is to number one make sure that i have an adequately stocked first aid kit within handy uh reach because Accidents do happen, and you definitely want to make sure that you take care of anything that happens in a timely manner. And, uh, you know, another aspect is you make sure that you understand and you know the boundaries of the range in which you're going to play and that you can uh, safely navigate or safely communicate through that area. Right. And I mean, anytime you're going to be playing outside, be familiar with your surroundings. I mean, you might choose to say, okay, we're going to stick to this trail system in this park. And it's clearly marked by trail markers to know that you can both confidently find your way out if need be. Or you might check before you play to make sure that the entire play space has cell reception so that if you fall and twist your ankle out in the woods, you can call for help. You know, if you're going to take it to a place that's a little riskier or you're just somewhere remote where there isn't cell reception or you don't have a clear system for that, you might want to have a whistle or some way to easily find your partner in the woods. So having some basic outdoor safety skills, and I mean, that could be an entire class on its own, (laughs) but having some basic outdoor safety skills and planning for, you know, accidents that can happen outside, that's a a really important thing if you are going to actually take your scene into nature. So is this where I should jump in and say, if anybody is interested in learning any of those outdoor survival skills, I teach them. So if they want to reach out to me, I'm more than happy to help set them up with a class. And you can reach me at uh, VDMac on FetLife, or you can also reach me at VDMac.com. Absolutely. Mac is actually a certified um, wilderness guide and also a wilderness EMT. So he is really especially qualified to teach any of those skills if anybody is interested in that. All right. So, I mean, we've talked a little bit about what primal play is. We've talked about some of the different roles, the risks involved, the fact that it's edge play, negotiation. And I think we've definitely hit some of the highlights in terms of sort of primal play in general. And so I'd like to get a little bit more personal so that people can kind of learn a little bit more about us and sort of how we do things. And again, we're kind of treading into territory here where we're talking about our own personal lives and view of primal play and our own identities. So this part is very individual, just a little disclaimer. But for you and I, primal definitely has meaning beyond kink. You know, we both believe in being connected Mm -hmm. to nature understanding our place in the natural order, and we believe in preserving the ecosystem, respect for all creatures on the planet. We both practice herbal healing and energy work. We dabble in a little bit of (laughs) ritual sex magic. And by dabble, I mean we do that a lot. (laughs) So I definitely think that 
when we talk about primal as a kink versus an identity, if you are someone who is just generally interested in being in touch with yourself as a part of nature, this might be something that appeals to you. Do you want to say a little bit more about any of that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we both identify as primal, you know, as a primal identity, i.e. we both try to live as close to the natural world as we can, even though, you know, you and I come from, from different backgrounds in different areas of the country. And so, therefore, uh, living as close to the earth can mean slightly different things for both of us. But, you know, overall, we're both striving to have the least amount of impact on the earth as we can, you know, similar to the way animals and nature have a very minimal impact um, on the earth as a whole. And I think that that's important for anyone who strives to be primal to at least understand, even if they don't embrace. I mean, I don't know if I would necessarily say that people need to understand this because I definitely think that primal play can be a kink. It can be a role play. People can do it. But I don't think personally that I would find as much meaning in it if I took that approach. So it's not to say that if you are not interested in any of the conservation or the spiritual overlap that primal play is not for you because you can absolutely do a hunt and chase scene and have a great time doing it and call it a day. But I definitely think that for me, it's significantly more fulfilling, you know, spiritually and emotionally and even physically sometimes by incorporating these other aspects into my life. And for example, I personally eat a vegetarian diet because that is my way of respecting the environment and the ecosystem because I know that factory farming is harmful to the earth and because I don't personally hunt to eat. But Mac takes a very different approach. He actually hunts for, um, he'll use the term harvest, but he does um, hunt for almost all of the meat that he consumes and what he can't harvest on his own, he generally gets from an ethical small family-run farm where the animals are humanely treated. So that's just one small way that we sort of bring that into our everyday lives. Yeah. And and honestly, Sunny, uh, I think if you, uh, the way I view vegetarianism or the way I view diets as a whole really is kind of um, similar to the way you view the the dom and, and sub, it's kind of like a dial. And I think even for vegetarian, you're way closer to the vegan end of the spectrum than say, I don't know, pescatarian as an example. Well, that wouldn't be a vegetarian. So, well, yes, that's true. <laughs> that's that's true. But, but um, you know, kind of, you're definitely more towards the vegan end of the thing. So um, sometimes we have to get creative when we eat together. But, uh, you know, so far we've done very well, I think. Right. And I, I also have a respect for the way that you get your food. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's accessible to me. And so I choose to eat in a very different way. But it's actually very interesting because I think at the heart of it, we both have the same 
reasons. And so we choose Mm -hmm. to be connected to nature and to preserve nature and to have respect for creatures in very different ways. I also tend to focus on things like recycling. And I also make an effort when I'm choosing my cosmetic products or things like shampoo that I choose things that are cruelty free, for example. And, you know, I try to use natural products in and on my body. And, you know, we both really try to focus on natural healing and herbal craft and medicine when that is possible, not in a way that ignores Western medicine because we both do participate in Western medicine when it's necessary, but it's just that we tend to have a greater respect for all of the natural healing properties that come from the earth and understanding that sometimes pharmaceuticals aren't the only solution. Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing what the earth will provide if you, you know, kind of pay attention and you listen and you learn to what she has to teach. And I think it helps too that uh, both of us follow a very similar spiritual path. Yes. And, you know, when we, we touched a little bit on the fact that we do energy work and, you know, we could do an entire discussion about sort of spiritual sex (laughs) or ritual sex. But the basic idea of it is that when you're connecting with another person and you are building pleasure, you are building energy. And the goal is to sort of gather up all that energy that you're having at this moment of release And when you release that energy back to the universe, you're sending with it intent to manifest your goals. And so, again, this is sort of a little bit of a a snapshot of how we live our lives. So you can get to know us as people a little bit and hopefully understand why primal is so important to us and how it's more of an identity. But just to kind of recap... It's absolutely not essential. We are not on a soapbox or telling other people that if you are interested in primal play that you need to live this way. You can absolutely do predator-prey dynamics. You can do hunt and chase. You can just sort of view primal as being sexually uninhibited in that you let yourself be fully present in the moment without getting lost in sort of, you know, human restrictions while you're playing. All of these things are primal. There's so many different Mm -hmm. ways to approach it. And I hope that everybody has learned a little bit about it today. But if you do want to learn more, Mac and I are actually going to be teaching a primal play class, a full length class with a lot more information at the kink school convention. And this year it's going to be entirely virtual and it's going to run from May 12th to May 15th, 2022. And if you want a little bit more information, you can go to kinkschool.ca for more um, details, tickets to be admitted to the discord server I am a kink school educator currently, so you'll see me popping around in the Discord threads a little bit, and also other cast members, HypnoStory and Panda, are going to be teaching some hypnosis classes at that particular event, so really a cool event. It is accessible worldwide because it's entirely virtual. And they, you know, both Sunny and HypnoStory and Panda, they teach some phenomenal classes. Uh, Although I will freely admit that I am slightly biased 
but uh, every class that I attend with any of the three of them teaching, I learn stuff that I didn't know before. Oh, and we're um, we're going to be doing a sensual BDSM class too. I forgot to mention that one. So Mac and I will yes. be doing primal play and sensual BDSM and hypno story and panda will be doing a, a variety of hypno classes. So I know we're not doing happenings segment right now, but we'll just a little plug for that event. Again, it's kink school, all one word dot CA if you'd like more information. All right. Next up, I'm super excited for our very first guest write-in. It is a request for advice, and it comes to us today from Stillwaters. He, him, who identifies as a hedonist. And the question is, I have a play partner here, and we're exploring wax, but I want to be super careful. Do you have any insights? Thanks. So I personally love wax play. I think it is so sensual. It's a great way to explore temperature play. It does not have to be painful, but if you're into sadism, it can be painful or at least have a very intense physical sensation. So lots of variety in how you can use wax. And with any good scene, it's always going to start with consent. So I know that we've talked a lot about consent in general, but just a couple of factors that are really specific to wax play. You want to be thinking about where can the wax go on a person's body. You want to be discussing whether or not they have any allergies to common fragrances or dyes that might be found in the wax. And the really big one is, is fire okay? Can it be part of the scene? So really funny personal story. The first time I ever played with wax, I was so, so excited. And I ran out and I bought all of these candles that I knew were body safe and I brought them home to my partner and I was all excited to do this wax play scene. And then my partner said, wait a minute, those are pillar candles. Are you sure? You know, fire has always been a hard limit of yours. And in fact, fire always had been a hard limit of mine. And in my brain, I was so excited that it never occurred to me that fire may be a part of a scene with wax play. But good news, if you don't love fire, it does not have to be. So you could always use a wax melt warmer. It looks like a little plate that you can plug into the wall. And usually you can just set a pitcher or jar-based candle on top of it. And it might take a little bit longer, but you can completely melt your wax that way without using any fire at all. Or if you're using a pitcher-based or jar-based candle, you can go ahead and light it and just let it burn for a little while until most of the wax is liquid, and then you can blow out the candle and play with it without bringing any fire into the scene. But that is something that's really important that's specific to wax play that you should negotiate. And again, this is not going to be an exhaustive list. I highly encourage anybody who's interested in wax play to take a full class. There are many, but here are just a couple of additional tips. Know your materials. It's really important. So if you're brand new to wax play and you want to have that experience, you might decide to start with something like a massage oil candle. These generally have very low melting points and they're designed not to burn skin. They're designed for sensual massage. And it's not exactly wax per se, but you do have the experience of lighting a candle and having temperature play in a really safe way. But if you really want to try out actual wax, I highly recommend that you start with a soy wax candle. Soy wax tends to melt at lower temps. Generally, the higher end of soy wax is around 130 degrees. And 
different types of wax have different melting points, which means the temperature that it's going to be when it melts and then ultimately hits your skin. So beeswax, for example, could be 145 degrees and paraffin has a major range. It could range anywhere from 125 to 165 degrees melting point. So you know, beeswax, higher melting point paraffin can absolutely cause burns on the skin and you want to be extremely careful. A lot of people do use paraffin, but if you do, make sure you're using a low temp classified paraffin. If you're not sure, ideally see if the seller is listing the melting point. And if you're sticking with candles that are labeled specifically for skin, specifically for temperature play or BDSM play, a lot of times when you buy them, the melting point will be listed right in the advertisement for the candle. But if you're not going to do that, I don't recommend that you just pop over to the grocery store and say, buy a candle that says soy candle. When you consider all of the additives that are in candles, things that make them look metallic or that have a certain color or that make them burn longer, that candle might really only be like 5% soy and you might end up causing a serious burn on yourself or your partner. So you really want to look for candles for wax that are 100% made of the ingredient or or nearly 100%. So it'll say something like 100% soy-based candle and they might note if they've added a little bit of coloring to it or something like that. Look for So once you've selected a safe candle, you're going to want to first test the candle on yourself, on your own wrist, if you're going to be the person who's topping the scene or doing the pouring. You never want to use any kind of toy really on a partner that you haven't tried on yourself. So I recommend testing it just on the sensitive skin on the inside of your wrist first. And then you can also do the same with your partner and actually allowing some time to see if a reaction develops to make sure that there's no damage to the skin, no reaction before you are putting the wax all over the place. Next, I definitely want to recommend that you avoid the face and eyes. You can cause permanent blindness in a person if you drip burning wax into their eyes or an ember from the candle. So in my opinion, it's safest just to completely avoid the face altogether. And now you've got your nice safe candle, you've done your negotiation, you know you're not going to go anywhere near the face, so you might feel like you're ready to begin. You're going to want to hold that candle away from the body. So it's going to be close enough to control where the wax is landing, but also far enough away to allow some cooling of the wax on the way down. 18 inches is a really good mark to start with. So 18 inches away from the skin. And again, if you are a beginner and you really want to do real wax and not a massage candle, I definitely recommend those pitcher candles because you can blow out the flame completely and, you know, then step back and relight it if you need to melt more along the way. But again, a foot and a half away from the skin, that's a good place to start. And do a couple of drops at a time. When you pour a lot of wax and it forms a big pool of wax, it is not going to cool as fast. And so that is going to affect the risk level for burning the skin. So generally, you want to keep the wax moving and do a few drops at a time and try to avoid pouring a big giant pool of wax in one spot on the body. I recommend avoiding mucous membranes. I mean, we're avoiding the face altogether, but it could be risky to pour, for example, hot molten wax on somebody's genitals directly. And it's probably not something you want to have on the inside of your body. Definitely an external use only situation. 
And so once you get going, you're doing your small drops, I would recommend that you start with areas such as the belly or the thighs or, you know, talk to your bottom and find out what areas they find to be the least sensitive and what areas they find the most sensitive because this can vary widely from person to person. So you might want to start with, for example, their arms or legs or belly before you're, for example, pouring that wax onto their nipples. And then, you know, when you're done with your scene, removal is actually something that's really important. And just a word of caution, if you're going to start with something really safe like a massage oil candle, think about the effect of oil and water. You're really going to want to remove as much of that as possible from the skin before you jump in the shower because it will turn your bathtub into a slip and slide and that can be really dangerous from someone who has experienced that personally. So you really want to get a plastic or a wooden scraper tool of some kind. I would recommend against anything that's very sharp because you don't want to cut the skin, but you can use anything. I mean, it could be something like a hotel key card, for example, and you want to just sort of scrape or peel away as much of the wax as possible before you go ahead and jump in the shower. And for some people, the sensation of having the wax removed is actually really pleasurable. And so the wax removal can also be a really nice part of your complete scene. And once you've managed to get all of your wax removed, you're going to want to do some aftercare. This is something you might also want to talk about during your negotiation in the beginning. I didn't mention that, but it might be something that you talk about in advance. And, you know, just checking the body over, looking to make sure nothing looks inflamed or burned. And if anything requires first aid, making sure you're applying first aid in addition to any emotional aftercare that you might have discussed. And so again, this is not by any means a completely comprehensive class on wax play. I definitely advise that anybody who's interested in that go ahead and take one. There are so many available and a lot of them are even online now. Or go ahead and read a article about it. You can find lots of publications online that go into significant detail about safety for wax play. Now, I can never guarantee the safety of any individual item on the market, especially something that is handmade and can have variation. But if anybody's curious as to what I have been playing with recently, I recently got a pillar candle, so a solid candle with a wick, no pitcher involved, and it is a soy paraffin blend with some color added to it from Etsy and came from the shop Kinbaku Studio, K-I-N-B-A-K-U Studio, one word. And I chose the low temp wax play candle. And I started with the pink one and had such an enjoyable experience with it that I just actually ordered three more colors. So I'm excited to try those as well. And with more pigment, it can actually increase the temperature. But the one that I tried in particular was really pleasant. It was a nice warming sensation on the skin. And I had a really lovely scene with my daddy. It was intense, but my skin is very, very sensitive personally. And I was not burned and I didn't have any type of allergic reaction. So I was really impressed with that candle. And again, it's a blend of soy and paraffin, but it is specifically a low temperature candle intended and made with the intent of using for BDSM play, if anybody's curious about what I've been using. 
And I'm so excited that we've had our first question. Thank you again to Stillwaters. And I really encourage anybody who would like kink or lifestyle advice or wants to ask a question and have it answered on the show to go to our website at sunnyleemain.com and check out the Naughty Talk page. We do have a form embedded there where you can go ahead and submit your question. And I'm really excited to have more of these moving forward. Next up, I'm here with Enigma. He, him. Enigma is a kinkster, podcaster, and an erotic photographer with a passion for impact. How are you today? I'm doing very well. I just came in from Jack in the Box. Um, got some of those little like mini taco things. They're they're a little addicting. It's a problem, but um, that must be a West Coast thing. <laughs> is it a West Coast thing? Oh, that's that's unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, maybe they opened it up over here, but yeah, the little like the mini tacos, and they have like the dippings. Oh, it's. It's terrible for me and it's not helping my like not being fat, but it's it's a fantastic, fantastic snack after a, a long day of work. Excellent. Well, that's one of the reasons I'm excited to have you on the show, a little bit of East Coast, West Coast culture stuff mm-hmm. that can be really fun. But since you're on the show for the first time today, we've been talking a lot about kink roles recently, sort of kink identity. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about you in terms of that? Sure, I can definitely jump into that. I I identify as a top heavy switch. Um, for me, on the top side, uh, that's generally speaking how I approach the lifestyle and scenes and relationships with people. Um, I identify as a daddy dom. Generally speaking, um, I am a sadist, but I, I'm also a very nurturing person. So uh, yeah, I like to you know have a fun little impact scene like we're going to talk about. I like having a little sadist fun, but afterwards, like I also like to cuddle. And, um, like I, I've interacted I've, I, with a lot of like littles and I love like coloring time and that sort of like nurturing situations. Um, and then on, on the, on the sub side of the thing, uh, I haven't ex- been exploring that too much, but I've definitely been getting into that in the last couple of years and I don't really have a specific role for that, but it's just been kind of an exploration of, uh, what I'm into and what I like in that side of things. Cool. So you're exploring a little bit, but mostly on the D side of the slash. Yes, I, I definitely identify more as a as a daddy dom than anything else. Excellent. And I actually really like the comment you made about sadists being sensitive. Sadists have feelings too, you know. <laughs> I have a little sadistic streak myself, mm-hmm. and I, I sometimes even like to be sadistic in little space. Mm-hmm. So people are often weirded out by that. But... Um, I'm glad you said that. But really, we were going to talk a little bit about impact today. So let's start with the fun bit. Why do you love it? What do you get from it? Do you give it receive it? So I like I, I've only received it a couple of times. Again, kind of exploring the, the bottom side of things. It's I've only like I said, I've only done it once or twice. So I don't actually know what I th- think about it yet. Like I kind of liked the uh, the feeling like the tingling and the bruising afterward, but like in the moment, like, I'm not sure if I like that sensation yet, but as a top, I, I really enjoy um, getting into using different kinds of toys. I love pervertibles. I love kind of toys where you can just um, use like a kitchen spoon or can use um, like a book, turn it into a paddle. And that's now a toy. Like I love using different unique things that like are going to impact and make different kinds of sensations, different kinds of pain all with these things that you can find at the dollar store. Like, like I love, I just love doing like different kinds of sensation play while I'm doing impact and that sort of play. 
Yeah, I definitely have DIY toys on my sort of list of topics. And um, so I'm glad you mentioned that. <laughs> I was hearing somebody talk about the other day using, you know, like those really long marshmallow sticks mm-hmm. um, for like campfire roasting and how much they loved those. But, you know, things like spatulas and I actually have been playing with bubbles a lot recently mm-hmm. <laughs> with a friend of mine who's on the show, Panda Pet. And after we got done playing with the bubbles, I was looking at all of those like round sort of bubble wands that have like ridges and different textures. And I was thinking those look like really excellent (laughs) DIY impact toys when your brain is sort of perverted and you start to look around (laughs) all sorts of things start to look like toys. Oh, goodness. It's, It's such a problem. Like literally my favorite paddle is a cheese board that I got from Target. And I just happened to walk in and like I was, I was in a particularly like domly mood when I walked in, I just happened to walk through the kitchen aisle and I saw this, this, this cheese platter thing with a perfect little handle. And it's still one of my favorite paddles. Like it, it is, it's called, it even has a name. It's called the finale because usually for like the, like this your your standard bottom, it's usually the last toy we use. Cause it's a very like thick, heavy wood. It's just, it's such a great toy, but it's a cheese tray. That's it. I think my favorite DIY toy, I got this thing on Etsy. So I didn't do it myself, (laughs) but somebody on Etsy did it themselves. And they took these sort of wood, uh, I don't know how to describe them. They're thinner than the marshmallow sticks, dowels, Mm -hmm. I guess. Yeah, um, But very thin and flexible. And then sort of gathered a bunch of them together and wrapped it in basically tape around the handle and made sort of a handle for it. And so when you swing it, it makes this really nice sort of whooshing noise through the air. And it makes a really satisfying loud smack noise against a butt. Mm-hmm. But it's actually more of a warm up toy. They call it a whisk. And so it's like really fun for sound effects. But is really pretty user-friendly for somebody who's a little bit of a beginner or somebody who is, because it's more evenly distributing the impact than something like a single cane. Right. So that was my most fun new. (laughs) You mentioned fun sounds. I have this like length of like thick rubber tubing. It's like, I don't know what's from. It came from like a scientist person that I know who just like, they were throwing this like tubing away and they were like, can I have some? And they cut off, they cut it off into like a couple of foot lengths and then like gave them out. Like it is one of my favorite toys because it's, it's hollow, but it's a very thick rubber. And so when I hit it, there's this very satisfying, like thunk sound and it confuses the shit out of, out of bottom. Cause like I start hitting it and they hear just this like thunk, 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 thunk that like they weren't expecting from a toy. It's, it's absolutely fantastic. And like it, it stings and, but they're like, wait, no, that's like thick. Ru- it's. I love mind fucking with my toys. It is absolutely fantastic. Well, since this is our kink 101 segment, let's just kind of dive into <laughs> that a little bit. Yeah. So you said sting. Do you yes. want to talk about stingy versus study? Because that gets thrown around a lot in impact play. Absolutely. So um, stingy, generally speaking, it's going to be um, thinner toys, lighter toys, like with a flogger, um, the part of the the flogger where all like the strands of material that's called the falls and the falls of the flogger are going to be a lot thinner, a lot smaller, a lot lighter. And basically it's stinging because all of that force you're putting into the flogger is going into a very small light point. Um, like I have a toy, it's a, one of my first floggers that I got off Amazon and it's called Mr. Stingy 
because it is just thin square strands of like suede or something. And it is absolutely one of the stingiest things. Um, and then like, uh, on the other end of the spectrum, you're going to have thuddy. This is usually something that's heavier, denser material. A good thuddy flogger is going to be made out of like elk or um, out of some sort of like thick leather. Uh, but then you have toys that are kind of in the middle. I have a latex one that or I have a latex flogger where it's, it's thuddy if the temperature of the body and if like it's not too humid, but if it's too humid and the skin's even a little sticky, it'll come in and sting on the skin. And when you pull back, it's, it's like you get another sensation from it. So toys are going to have a lot of, uh, a lot of spectrums to it. And some of these toys, if you do them in a different, if you throw them a different way, that means if you swing them in a different way, they're going to give a different sensation. So that's why a lot of people recommend that if you're going to be, if you're going to be like doing these toys for the first time, hit them on yourself for the first time. Like anytime that I'm, I'm playing with a toy, um, that I've never touched before. Like I just swing it and hit it on my back because I need to see how that's going to feel to the bottom that I'm playing with. I'm so glad you said that. I always feel silly, but any toy that I've ever purchased, <laughs> I have most definitely struck myself with. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really think that that's a good policy for anything, wax candles, whatever it is, test it on yourself first before you use it on someone else. Make sure it's a safe toy. Really, you want to also just know what the impact, um, that wasn't meant to be funny, mm-hmm. but what the effect is going to be so that you can sort of plan things like force and um, you know how you're going to use them on your partner. And I also like that you touched on the different sensations. I mm-hmm. personally think of pain as just another sensory experience, another sensation, and I'm really into sensual BDSM. So mm-hmm. I don't really, in my own mind, build up pain to be this like really big separate thing. It's just one more sensation um, that can be used for <laughs> for pleasure or for discomfort. I tend to think of things in terms of pleasure and discomfort. Right. Cause like as we're playing, we're not necessarily the, the goal isn't necessarily to inflict anything that the person doesn't want. Um, which is why anytime I get into any sort of specifically impact play, but any sort of kink play, like there is, there's, there's always going to be some level of risk to what we're doing. And I'm not, I'm not talking like, you know, doom and gloom risk. Like I'm just talking about like, I cannot guarantee that these toys aren't going to mark the bottom like mr singy because of the way that it's designed it's very likely going to leave scratches on the skin it's gonna leave marks on the skin i would have to like not throw it for it not to leave some sort of mark and depending on how hydrated you are how healthy you are again like the humidity of of where you are that's going to affect what kind of marks you get in a lot of ways and so that's something to think about like if you go into a scene and you tell you tell the top i don't want any marks Unfortunately, I personally am not going to tell anybody that I can that I will not mark them because I don't know if I'm going to mark them. I don't know what their skin is, how their skin is going to react. And so for me, I'm never comfortable just being like, no. Oh, yeah, of course I I can. There will be absolutely no marks when we're done because you can't guarantee that. 
Right. I think it's important to be honest and upfront and to understand that there are things that you can't control. We talk about risk-aware consensual kink, mm-hmm. um, and that's really what it means. It's acknowledging that things can go wrong. We were talking on the last episode a little bit about knife play, and with impact, things can happen. Somebody's skin can split and can mm-hmm. bleed, you know, so there can be exposure to body fluids. And we were talking about how it's important Um, I recommend everybody who's going to engage in any kind of impact play or any kind of edge play to actually take a first aid course. I think it's really important just for safety's sake um, and to be prepared because things can go wrong. But I want to circle back a little bit because you were listing a whole bunch of different types of toys. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean... There, it's an endless list: paddles, <laughs> floggers, canes, whips. Well, and then and you throw on pervertibles. <laughs> yeah, you throw on pervertibles, and that list gets even longer. Right, you know. So, and people forget about you know parts of a body can be used mm-hmm. for impact. And then there are all of these different materials: wood, plastic, leather, rubber, nylon, Delrin, PVC coated wires, <laughs> like it really acrylic. It goes on and on. So. Do you want to talk a little bit about the different types of materials? I think it's really important to understand what each material is before you use it, understand what your toy is made of. For sure. One thing that's often brought up in any sort of kink or sex circles is latex. A lot of stuff is is still kind of made out of latex or has some sort of latex element. That's something that you want to talk to your bottom or even the top ones to like uh, research about you want to find out if um you're if you're reactive to latex because a lot of people are allergic to that some people are allergic to silicone you need to find out what kind of silicone is the toys are made out of that's any sort of toy but specifically with toys that are going to be around um any sort of like thin skinned area that's the genitals that's the mouth it's the nipples any of those areas that are going to be a little extra sensitive mucous membranes <laughs> right yeah yes exactly the music mu- mucous membranes you want to make sure that your toys are compatible with your partners you also want to find uh toys that are easily cleanable and if they're not then uh one phrase that gets thrown around a lot is uh being fluid bound and that's that's something that you can be uh, bound to a partner, but you, you can also be bound to a toy. So I, I really like using rubber bands in play. Um, I, it's, it's a easy way to get kind of the whip effect without having to have the room to play with whips, but rubber bands, these are the ones that you can get from office, max Depot, Walmart, wherever they're not necessarily, or they're, they're not at all, uh, clean cleanable. They're very porous. They're a very, uh, rigid material. Um, and so that's something that like at the end of the, the scene i just hand the partner the rubber band because it's like it's not something that i can use again it's not something that i can clean so it's it's going to be either thrown away so i I give it to the sub so that's that's something you want to think about you want to want to look at um if you're going to use something like wood from the store like my cheese board paddle it's a lot easier because it's treated and it actually has a it's actually been given like a seal because it's supposed to be used with food you wouldn't necessarily want to use a two by four from Home Depot. Like if you want to do that, you can get it, but then seal it because you want to make sure that 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 material is going to be safe. Some people might be, think this is a paranoia, but like if if you have the money, if you have the time, I would suggest taking these extra steps because that's going to keep you and your partner safe. People who think it's silly have never had a splinter in their ass. That too. <laughs> so that too. Would be my guess. Nor have I, but I'm pretty careful with my toys. Well, yeah, and that, and that's another thing. Like, like it, it's the little things that you don't expect. So if you don't put that 
the thought into it, it, it where mistakes are always going to happen. People, people are going to like going to get hurt, but like we, we want to do whatever we can to mitigate the risk as much as we can. Absolutely. And, you know, different types of materials have different types of durability. I have seen, especially like on places like Etsy and a lot of the DIY stores, they do these acrylic canes mm-hmm. and, that type of plastic resin can shatter and it can basically form a blade when it breaks. It's very, you know, potentially dangerous if it, um, if it shatters against the skin, certain types of wood can splinter, Mm -hmm. but they don't usually form quite as, I think a sharpened edge as something like acrylic. And also just being aware that softer materials, things like leather, nylon, um, rubber, different things that are soft, especially when you're thinking about like floggers, whips, they can wrap around the body. So you need to measure the length of the toy Mm -hmm. to the spot that you want to hit. Because if, for example, you want to hit somebody's backside or thighs and that swings around and hits them on their pelvic bone or wherever that you did not intend, that is not a positive thing. Right. Yeah, and, and, yeah. The, the the wrapping effect that you often get from floggers. Some people like it, some people don't. But that's something that, that you should definitely be talking about and be be aware of of the possibility. Because like the reason that wrapping and for those that like that's when you like you swing a little too far and where the flogger hits the body is not the end of the flogger. And so there's a there's a few more inches of flogger that are going to be that are going to wrap around the body and hit in a much smaller area with as much force as you threw the flogger. And so there's more likely to have welts. There's uh, there's a higher likelihood of actually breaking the skin because you're bas- you basically turn your flogger into a whip. And so that's something you want to be uh, extra careful of. But also there's people, there are pain sluts who love that. and But that's something you want to know about and talk about before you ever throw the flogger. Right. The goal is that whether it's wrapping around or not, you want to be using your toy with intent. Mm-hmm. You want to know what it's going to do. This shouldn't be a surprise to you at all. You know, it could be a surprise to your bottom if that's something that you negotiate and something that they enjoy to not know where it's going to land, but it shouldn't be landing in random spots just because you don't have control of your implement. 100%. In my opinion. Oh, yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, You were talking a little bit earlier about temperature. Um, There are so many other things that can impact. I keep saying that. (laughs) There are so many things that can affect an impact scene. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into areas of the body, but things like temperature in the space that you're playing in, individual health conditions, maybe Mm -hmm. somebody has a bad joint or whatever it is. Um, but you were telling a story about doing an impact scene in the cold. And in the cold, I mean, your body shunts all of your blood to your vital organs in your torso. It shunts it away from your limbs, away from your skin. And it, it has a drastic effect. It can cause numbing. It can cause the skin to be more fragile, like assuming you were actually exposed to you know, the elements outside, more likely to crack or tear. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're aware of things, you can do a safe scene. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about that scene you were telling me about? Sure. Yeah. So the the scene happened. It was at this uh, New Year's Eve party. At, it was an outdoor play party. Um, this happened back in Texas. 
And it was, when I say it was cold, it is not, it was, it was uh, below 30 with a wind chill. It was absolutely freezing. Uh, but like we went there to play. And so we were determined to play. And because this was, th- this was a long distance partner. And so we didn't get to see each other very often. So it was like, we we're, we're going to fucking play. And so uh, we, we got her into the, the play area and there was, they, they tried to set up heaters, but it was just, it was not helping with just how cold and windy it was. But I put her up on the St. Andrew's cross and um, have a few toys I start pulling clothes off of her and her, her body like very quickly is like pink and cold. And so I'm like hitting it and trying to warm it up with that, with that stuff. But because she has cold and like you were saying, like the body's reaction to uh, very, very low temperatures is to preserve the body, uh, body's important organs. So that goes to the, that goes to the internal organs that goes to the brain. So there your extremities that includes your butt get very, 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 very sensitive. And so her, um, her pain sensitivity, her, her pain threshold just kind of went into the gutter. And so like the scene itself was not terribly long, but it was very entertaining because she was trying to push herself to take more because she was, you know, a very defiant little, but her body was just like not accepting that and just like telling her how much it hurt. So the scene itself was only maybe 10 minutes. Right. And you can totally plan for that sort of thing and think, you know, okay, maybe I'm not going to strike mm-hmm. quite as hard because I am aware of these factors, or maybe the scene isn't going to last quite as long because I don't want my partner to get frostbite right. on their ass. Um, you know, so with planning, you know, I can, <laughs> I can see how the sadistic streak might enjoy. <laughs> yes. My, 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 my not so innocent, my not so inner sadist. <laughs> was definitely enjoying it. But also like I had stashed a couple of those um, hand warmers you can get from any sporting goods store, but especially around um, wintertime. Um, and I'd had those like stashed in a, in a deep pocket that I was wearing. And so I pulled those out. And so I was kind of like able to do a little bit of uh, temperature play, but kind of in reverse the way we usually do it, where we, it's usually ice cubes that we use, but I was using these hand warmers to kind of like give her, her skin and her body a little bit of reprieve from the cold. And, but yeah, it's, it's definitely something that if, if you want to go play in, in high temperatures, and I would say if you're going to go play in the high heat, this is a, that's also a thing you need to consider is our, our bodies are not designed to deal with a lot of trauma, especially in those kinds of environments. And realistically, what we're doing as kinky people is we are consensually allowing trauma to happen to our bodies. And so that's something you need to keep in mind when you're putting your partners already in kind of extreme conditions, and then you're going to do other things to them on top of that. So like the body is going to react sometimes in ways that you're not expecting. And so you need to be thinking about that. So like any kind of kink, the take home message is it's really important to negotiate. You're thinking about the type of toy that can be Mm -hmm. used, how much force can be used, what part of your body you're okay with having impact on, what are your safe words going to be? I know these sound like really basic things, and this is a kink 101 segment, but I'll say them again over and over again, like a broken record. It's really important to negotiate and also to know your own body, know your limits. I personally have some autonomic dysfunction stuff. My body does not 
like extreme temperatures. And if I'm overheated, my blood pressure bottoms out and I can pass out. And it takes me forever to warm up if I let myself get really cold. So that seemed to me sounds like not my not my best time. Um, but others can certainly partake in that sort of thing with temperature play, which is a whole separate topic um, and have a really fun time doing it if they negotiate. So last thing I want to touch on to kind of close out our Kink 101 segment on impact is that there are all of these body charts floating around on the internet that are supposed to tell you where it's safe (laughs) to hit. And I personally think they're a bunch of BS because while there are some things that are valuable, like the fact that joints are more sensitive, that you probably don't want to strike the lower back over someone's kidneys, you don't want to strike the spine, you don't want to strike somebody in the throat, you know, those things are very dangerous. A lot of the green zones, things like forearms are very bony parts of the body. And so with something like a wooden hard impact toy, you can really cause a lot of damage on somebody's forearm. So, you know, take a look at the charts. If you're new, that's fine. But please bear in mind, it really depends on the type of toy you're using. Do you want to say any more yeah, about that? I, it's definitely something like, I mean, you brought it up like it communication negotiation. That's something that's going to be happening throughout the life of a kinkster like that's something that is going to keep you safe but it's also going to keep you in healthy relationships like the best kinky relationships that i know and have had have have succeeded because of the communication and the the constant negotiation with the with my partners like people change their their limits change their um their feelings about what's happening change and so that's something you want to talk to them about and so as as kind of a a get a new person getting into impact play you, you want maybe maybe start with those charts start with like aiming for just the meaty areas for me when i when i first get into a scene with somebody like the first thing that i do is i just use my hands and i and i find where the bony parts are and i i do my best to it's like okay there's the hit there's their hip bone there's the the pelvic bone there's that bones and then like if we're playing with the the chest it's like okay like you know people their people's chests are sometimes a little bonier in certain areas and so that's something you want to keep in mind but at the same time like it's like okay th- those are bony areas so i may not use like you were saying i may not use a cane i may not use a baseball bat like directly on their chest but like i have a you know a lightweight uh kind of warm-up floggers and i have lightweight um toys that work great on those more sensitive areas because they're they're impossible to really hit that hard and so that's something you want to um, think about while you're getting into play. But again, talk to your talk to your bottom, talk to your submissive, talk to your tops, and and understand what toys are going to be used and how they're going to be used. And then y'all can have a lot of fun from there. Yes. And just kind of recapping, know your toys, know the materials that they are made out of. Know the areas of the body that are higher risk or more sensitive. Know your partner specifically, what is going on with their body in general, what is going on with their body today. You know, use safe words. If you're a beginner, practice on a pillow. Use your toys on yourself first. See what they really feel like. And, you know, go slow. Check in with your partner. See what they have to say about the effect that it's having on them if you've never used a toy before or if you're playing with somebody new, so important to communicate. Absolutely. Just keep communicating and talking and um, 
you'll find that sweet spot. All right. Thanks so much for having this talk with me. I think it was a really important segment to do for people who are new and also for anybody who wants a refresher or maybe somebody who is a lifestyle veteran, but hasn't really done a lot of impact. Absolutely. And, and even if you're a veteran, like you were saying, like getting back in touch with those, those beginner elements, like that's, that's what keeps us safe. That keeps what keeps us as healthy players. Absolutely. And I hope you're going to be on the show again soon. Sounds like a plan. Thanks, as always, for listening to Naughty Talk. Our show is available on most popular podcast platforms. For updates, to submit a request to be a guest on the show, to write in with questions for our hosts or request lifestyle advice, head over to the show's page at sunnylymain.com. You'll also find information about my novels, including my Turn the Key series, which are dark erotica with themes of hypnosis, BDSM, and sometimes a little bit of magic. All books feature different kinks and are queer inclusive. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you join us again next time.